coming to you from various locations scattered across the United States of America for reasons we necessarily don't understand. It's time for the episode zero of the A7FL three-on-one podcast. And if all of that math is correct, that means I'm your host, Matt Ryan, but I'm not the only one on this podcast. I'm not the only host. I've got two people that ride with me every single week on the games of the week on Stadium. And also, we've seen them on the field. We've got a two-time A7FL champion. We've got big Rob Fabian and also quarterback extraordinaire. He's my quarterback. He's my quarterback. He is the one, the only Corey Hammond. Hey, guys. Welcome to the pod. What's up, Matt? So we've been asked by the powers that be to, you know, try this little podcast thing out and, and give it. Give it the old college try, and I think this is a great opportunity for fans to not only learn more about us and we can stroke our own egos and talk about how we're the best announced team in football, because we are, but (laughs) it also gives us an opportunity to speak to some of our favorite people inside and outside the A7FL. We're going to have interviews with players, coaches, executives. We may even drag Ryan DePaul on this show every once in a while to talk about things that are important to him and important to the league. We have the Start Engine campaign right now. The information about that is in the show notes. So if you are listening to us, no matter where, no matter how, if it's all, you know, if it's on uh, Amazon, if it's on Apple, if it's on Spotify, wherever you are listening to this, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast so we can, you know, keep doing this and make, make everybody happy and get more investors and then be on national television. And my goal is to get a solid gold boat. I'm just going to say it right now. My goal from the A7FL is to own a solid gold boat. Is that like a like a specific award, like a Peabody? Yeah, or, or, or is that, or is that like an like actual solid gold boat? Literally talking about a, a yacht made of solid gold. Oh, I want a, I want a traditional pirate ship. Solid oh, gold, shit. whole thing. Wow. A, 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 a full-bellied galley. Yep. <laughs> nice. What would your What would your pirate's flag entail? Well, if it's because oh. of the A7FL, it's definitely going to have to have a football on it. Um, it's going to be Ooh. David Isaacs with a sword in his teeth. Oh nice. my god! In, in the so, Raider so logo. What you're saying is, to be fair, it would not be a nightcrawler because of how bad Tampa lost that final eight game oh my God. against the Raiders. Oh, oh, was that too soon? Let's start this podcast off great with, with another Just opportunity to Corey talk about... the Shovel Hammond. <laughs> well, the, thing, the great thing about this league, guys, is, is as it continues to gain exposure, a lot of people just want to know more about it. They see the highlights. They see the, the flashy, you know, big hits great catches, uh, elusive moves, and then they want a little bit more context. So I, I feel like this podcast is going to be a great a way to introduce the, the league to a new audience that is, that is you know, kind of like on the periphery, just kind of seeing some of the, the edge stuff, or more importantly, uh, for our most, you know, our most loyal fans, giving them that extra bit of content because you just can't get enough of this, this sport, guys. And, uh, you know, it's, it's – it's been a pleasure for me to not only be a part of the league as, as a player, but now moving, you know, as, as much as I move into this role, you know, s- somewhat because of my, you know, loss in talent and skill and, and maybe trust in the league. Oh, you shut know, up. As a quarterback. 
<laughs> but um, but also because it's just I, I I really love the direction that this league is going in. I want to be a part of it uh, moving forward. And I have to say, you know, that this has been, you know, as close to one of the biggest thrills of my life for somebody with four kids uh, that was married, ha- you know, has that day to remember yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, with, with the A7FL guys, it, it really comes down to, you know, the best action you'll see in spring football by far some of the best athletes you'll see on on a level that's comparable to this level of football and some of the personalities which just you know make this sport just so much more fun than you know any other sport potentially to cover and rob you know a lot of these guys personally you know especially being a part of that u championship uh you know their most recent championship obviously you know falling just a bit short um, in the 2022 championship that just passed, but you know a lot of the characters in this league, and you know as, as one of the one of the maybe all time, and I might be a little bit biased here as a quarterback that's played behind you, but maybe one of the all time linemen, you know, for those that were on the sideline of the BIC game that kind of forgot. <laughs> um, yeah, they all think I sucked. <laughs> I mean, they 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 had that misconception, and maybe we can put you know we can steer them in the right direction at this point. Yeah, but uh, you, you know again. better than anybody, you know how the you know, the inner workings of this league, some of the characters. And, you know, I bet you you have even better stories than I do as, as somebody who's been on two championship runs when I only have one playoff win. Yeah, I have a ton of stories. I mean, I could give – there's some inside stories I can get, but I would really love to talk to those players. I think that's something I could bring to this pod. There's, like, certain stories that you really would not hear or wouldn't believe unless you heard it from those specific players. And I promise you guys, it's it's – it's way more than a few. Like, it's a lot of them, a whole lot of them. From from some of your favorite players, like, I got stories with, with Courage, um, Kenny Stansberry, Mason, Moon. Um, Can we talk about Kenny Stansberry for a minute? Let's do it. Because that guy. Kenny became a bit of a viral sensation after the A7FL championship, Corey, after you gave them the BFC, the big frickin' check. And the A7FL championship trophy from your friends at Herf Jones, who did not sponsor this podcast, so I will not say the catchphrase. But he became a viral sensation with some of our now fellow podcasters because we are all now semi-professional podcasters. Uh, We are getting paid in uh, bison dollars, which is always good because you always want to get paid in the same currency as a Street Fighter movie. Uh, for wearing the goat mask, cutting a promo, holding a championship belt, and for walking onto the field with a stogie in his ear, staring down a member of the Patterson U and arguing a play. Now, in terms of football lawyers, in terms of football litigants, the A7FL, we have our fair share of football litigants. We have the Salino and Barnes of football litigation in the American Sevens Football League. But that image and that person, Kenny Stansberry, might, you know, rank above everybody else. Well, Rob will speak to Kenny, and, and, and he knows him maybe even better than I do. But, uh, you know, I could just remember one of my, my favorite moments of Kenny is just the, you know, that passion that he brings. And, and sometimes it looks to be a little comedic at times. I remember when he handed me the reins over at BIC. And, and when, when Kenny Stansberry looks you in the eyes and say you're my guy, I got your back, which is something that the BIC is is type of like a one of those generic uh, chants that they, they kind of go to, uh, you know, in certain situations, like, who got your back? I got your back. 
Um, you know, Kenny Stansbury is one of those guys that he can inspire even another grown man to take it to that next level. And, and for as young of a team as BIC was on the field, even though Kenny was a big part of, of the personnel that was out there on defense, it was more his leadership, his enthusiasm, his passion for the game, and uh, a, 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 a wildness, right? Like, it's, it's hard to explain, like, what that is that, that was captured virally. But that just wild man in him, especially as a defensive guy, you know, that that just brings that level of, you know, the Verardis and the Master Chiefs and the KWAC and, 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 and even – love you – even Soltis, right? Um, <laughs> sorry. It takes that level of energy and just amps it up even more because when you got a guy on your sideline like Kenny Stansberry who's, who's walking onto the field, not with a Stoke, traditional Stoke, Matt, but with a Dutch master in his ear, he's coming. He's coming. What what some people say might be correct in that situation, and you gotta you gotta rise to that occasion when he's the one that's amping you up from the sideline. Rob, you've played with Ke- you've played with Kenny. You've played across from Kenny. What is it about Kenny Stansberry that just kind of makes him a codified legend in this game? Like we talk about legends in this game, and it it goes from. Elite athletes like a Courage Mosey, a Quattro Huff, and a Kareen Moon, a Rob Fabian. And then you have these eternal personalities who kind of define the heart and soul of the game in terms of these are people who have just completely engrossed themselves into the passion of the sport. Your Carnell Wachters, your Kenny Stansberrys, your Ryan Shamars, uh, your Lenny Manzels, these, these undeniable human beings. Those guys are like super necessary. Um, a guy like Kenny Stansberry, who actually started playing the okay, little known fact: the first time the words "the nation has arrived" were uttered, it's because Kenny Stansberry arrived. Like, it was a bunch of big-bodied guys from Trenton, and Kenny Stansberry was one of them. So when we say "the nation has arrived" or BIC used to say that, that really came from Kenny Stansberry and company coming to give BIC some well-needed size back in the day. So he really does embody that BIC spirit because he was there. Kenny Stansberry was there when BIC wasn't winning plenty of games. Kenny Stansberry was there for the first championship. Kenny Stansberry was there for when the team that he fell in love with fell apart. And then it became his job to put that team back together. So you could understand how much more love he has for it or had for it when when the team you did come in with completely folded all your stars left and then you're left to pick up the pieces so there's there's no way you know it's not hard to understand why Kenny Stansberry has so much BIC pride and without Kenny Stansberry those kids don't win that championship Kenny Stansberry sat down maybe for one quarter Kenny Stansberry sat down for like 10 minutes the game started slipping. Someone told them to get back in the game. Those kids woke up, and they finished that game out strong. A guy like Kenny Stansberry can't put a price on the things that, you know, guys like Kenny Stansberry and Ryan Shamar do. Honestly, because that's that's the thing in this league. We can talk about Ryan Shamar for a second because Lord knows they think Ryan Shamar does absolutely nothing. <laughs> and I was one of those guys that thought that until I joined the U and realized how much he is involved and how much – he does pull the strings and how much he does help 
with calling certain defensive packages and plays and personnel. Like, these guys are – I mean, if they weren't valued, they wouldn't be on the team. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, especially those especially those, those top-tier teams. You know, when right, you have a team right. like, like the Snow Tribe, you, you could have guys like John Kessler, the Joker, on the sideline, like influencing what's going on. But when you're when – you're, the words that you're speaking to your team are going to matter in, in, in the wins and loss column and you're one of those top-tier teams, if you're not correct in, in what your assumptions are or what your suggestions are, your team is going to shut you out. So the fact that guys like Carl have been around for so long with so much success in this league, guys like Ryan Shamar, guys like, like Marcus Cole for the various Baltimore teams that he's been involved with, you know, if those guys didn't bring something to the table that was tangible and valuable, they wouldn't still be in their position in the league for teams that, are, that matter. You know, in, I mean, in the end, in the end of the how season. Do you, so, in A seven FL, right, Corey, you played, you won, you lost. How do you? What's successful to you? What what determines success in a league like this? I mean, well, when when you look at my career specifically, it's a little bit different because I consistently start a season on a team with low expectations. And the successful years that I've had are the years where I raise the level of the players around me so that we beat the expectations a la like the, the, the major year that kind of like I broke onto the scene is when I took the Warriors from 0-3 to 4-4 and by the end of the regular season. And then we were a playoff. That's major year? But what I'm saying is, is that that is – I mean, it's either that, Rob – or like my year with the Renegades where they had zero wins and then we were four and three going into the playoffs. But like, for instance, when I was five and three in my year as the starter for BIC, that was looked at as a disappointment. So I, I think, mean, because it was win or bust. You feel me? It's like, exactly. Just, so, so, yeah. so the success is determined. Like when you look at, for instance, Snow Tribe, when they lose 80 to nothing to BIC and are able to rally after that point, figure out some things on offense and defense and are able to string together a couple of wins and then get a, get a nationally televised game against a, a West Coast team, you know, the, the Snow Tribe feel good about their season. When you're the Renegades and after last year you won four games, you come into this, this year and you, and you win only three games – you know, you, you're, you're taking a step back, even though they made what, what we would call in air quotes the Elite Eight. Um, that was because their first three games were against, you know, teams that weren't that high in the rankings, including my Hawks team, unfortunately, and they beat us. But which which might be one of the biggest disappointments on paper that I yeah that I've been a part of. Like, not even you've been a part of. Like I put I really would bet my house on that Hawks team for them to come up that short is just that's another that's another topic. Well, if you want to just riff on that topic that goes to show you the benefit of matchups in this league because the Hawks against other teams were better when they weren't facing one of the elite defensive lines when we faced for instance the DC buzz our offense was able to go up and down the field non-stop when we faced even the rare breed and I was in out of the four drives I was in against the rare breed we scored two touchdowns in the rain but when we face the de the Renegades defensive line, which is one of the elite uh, units in the league, especially outside of those top three teams, the UBIC and Rare Breed, the Renegades defensive line is one of the elite units in this league. And when we came short-staffed on the offensive line, 
it really didn't matter that I had Q Bell, Eddie Petio, uh, Mike Liberti, uh, Sherrod Servance, Rec Ratty, uh, you know, Bobby Newman at tight end. Like none of those guys matter if you can't block for two and a half seconds, especially if I'm your quarterback, period. And right? and to bring to, to further this point, you're talking about a bunch of solidified veterans on that Hawks team, Mike Liberti, who might be one of the most dynamic young runners in the league. When you're talking about, you know, offensive line protection, I actually had a quarterback in the league reach out to me this week. You know, we're talking about, you know, heading into 2023, some of the things going on. He reached out and said, if if you were me, what would be the one thing you focus on to make my team better next year? And I said straight up an offensive line. Because you take a look at... What? No, I just... You guys know how I feel when I'm not, again, we'll leave the name out. We'll leave out who said anything. But you guys know how I feel when it comes down to why a, a, a certain player, why somebody couldn't produce and they bring it down to the offensive line. No, when, I, I was the one who brought that up. I said. No, right. I just think that kid needs more than an offensive. He needs some gym work. He needs some quarterback drills. He needs some footwork, some speed. Like, he needs a little bit more than, than an offensive line. Because let's I, be honest, right? Did the you have an offensive line this year, fellas? Can we be honest? The season's over. No, but that, th- that's over. what cost him in the championship game, though. Quattro Huffin cost him, heading cost in. Him two points. Two points in the championship game without an offensive line. Yeah, but if that offensive line didn't allow, Al, you know, Alex Verardi to sack Huff 9,362 the, the times. Be- the best defensive player in the league. Yes, right. I agree with you. But at the same time, even with the best defensive lineman in the league and the U with maybe one of their worst offensive lines in the in their history, they still only lost by two points. So it's like Huff, we, we don't I don't call him Houdini Huff for nothing. We don't say he makes magic for nothing. That quarterback position is a special position. This is why guys like Sterry, guys like Huff, guys like Buck. And even more recently, Lenny Manziel and Mark Bagway, this is why they're always the topic of conversations when you bring up certain teams, because we see the magic they're able to do under pressure without good blocking. We see all of that. But let's so, let's let's put this in a let's put this in in a in a bubble here. Let, let's talk about this just purely uh, on paper. If you were giving any quarterback in this league three big off three solid offensive linemen. They don't even need to be big. You proved Rob like you're you're a large human being, but you don't right. need to be, you know, 5'10", 340. You can have a little right, less right, mass. Right. And we're right. seeing the defenses in this league more NASCAR style. You're starting to see a lot of young sleek A DEs. lot of young fast guys. Yeah. When you're when you are behind center in this league, and Corey, you can sp- attest to it too. These defenses are getting so fast that your reaction time and your your ability to develop is truncated. Like if Sterry Codrington came into the league this year after not playing quarterback for the entirety of college and returning to that position, despite all the offensive weapons he had, talk. Let's talk about his rookie season. He had to utilize his legs a lot more and deeper into the season, going up against more aggressive defenses, he had to utilize the run. The first touchdown of the championship game was a 60-yard run. 
I guess I th- uh, I, I, that's part of his game plan, though. Like, because he's a guy that people initially, when you look at Steri, you think, okay, he's quick, but you never think he's as fast as he actually is. That's He's fast. Steri is, like, hands down in the top five, top eight fastest guys in the league. But that's not something – I don't think you see – that's not what pops on screen when you see Steri. But to keep teams honest and respect his game, you know, he'll go for a run and break 60, 70-yard runs. He did it to the Gators. He did it to the U. He can do it. Well, and, and the main thing is is that when a quarterback, whether it's, it's, it's one-dimensional like myself and Mark Diggs, for instance, for the D.C. Buzz, which in, in my opinion, at least in this league, are really the only stereotypical kind of pocket passers – or if you're completely one-sided the other way, and for, you know, I- I'm not going to mention names, but there's a couple of guys that we could put in the category of being able to find running room, but unable to, you know, kind of be effective in the air. When you're a one-dimensional quarterback, the defense can play you dishonestly against your strength. Yeah, they, and they, that's they why their ears that's, back and go get you. And so when Sterry Codrington showed the entire league and, and to, to his credit, in the first game against the U, the U basically were asking Terry to beat, him, beat them in the air. And when he started to, that's when the defense started to come with a little bit of extra pressure and was a little bit more effective against him. But when you have to honor a quarterback that can deliver an accurate pass to receivers 10, 15, 20 yards down the field, and you have to cover, honestly, receivers all the way that far down the field, as soon as the quarterback has that one inch, like, inch to get free – and has the ability to take off. Now the, the field's way more spread out schematically because the defense is now having cover those guys in in the route. And now you're scrambling trying to to get the scrambling. You know, as a defense, you're you're reacting now with your back turn covering somebody, and all of a sudden somebody's running at 150 miles an hour and directing their wide receivers to block downfield. And, and that's part of, you know, why those runs work for BIC and, and, and the U and sometimes not for other teams. But I think, I think Rob, the other thing that you have to look at with the offensive line play is if, if you, if you watched most of BIC's big games, although at times, especially even like when, when the BIC offense was struggling in those red uniforms against the Gators defensive rush, um, the the pressure on the quarterback is always a factor, no matter who the quarterback is. Always, always. That's not even even, even no, that's Mark Bagley. Even yeah. Mark Bagley, who, who who dazzled us with his you know initial performance when me and Matt were calling the game, and he literally broke the broadcast. They put up so many points so easily, <laughs> and their and and their their game plan was only to block with two men, allowing free rushers. Which he was compensated right. for that free rusher by making the right. moves. He was responsible but for when we man. saw him against the rare breed, as fantastic as he was that entire game, he did or did not throw guys two interceptions that were because there was pressure and he was kind of in a bad position. And on that last drive, that fateful drive that I constantly reference, he had a couple of he had a couple of plays where he was lucky it wasn't turned over because he was who was reacting to that quick pressure. I so mean, even you, a guy, are you going to give it quick pressure? If the guy's game plan is to really allow, he allowed the pressure. I didn't even feel like rare breed did anything out of the ordinary. Well, his, his confidence in his ability to make that man miss. Right. Allowed for there to be pressure. And that that was part of their game plan. And it was working for a while. 
But my, my thing I is I mean, honestly, it, it worked take... until 40 seconds left of the game. <laughs> hey. Here's a question for you guys. If that game, if you play that game another nine yeah. times, how many times does it end up with the rare breed winning that game? Just well, I'll ask you this. I'll ask you this, Matt, because this is where we're at after, you know, recency bias. And you've mentioned you mentioned Lenny Manziel, the backup quarterback for the Rare Breeds name, already twice because of his electrifying, like, off, you know, like relief pitcher performances in the playoff games that he came in. Um, he came in when when Buck was struggling a little bit against the Nightcrawlers. Lenny, the and, closer. Yeah, and I, it, it was the two relief for two, pitcher. Hundred and one yards and two touch and two touchdowns, and one of them was the uh, the two point conversion that put them ahead. You know when it when it could have been a tie ball game if they just went for the one, right? So I'll, I'll ask you this: a lot of people are having this conversation about you know even after Buck had such a great season as as the the signal caller for the rare breed leading them to where they were in the playoffs i think a lot of people are, you know are, are really quick to jump off that bandwagon seeing what lenny manzel was able to do in short time Uh-oh. i think how i gotta be this? shocked for this question i think i gotta how about be shocked this, for this guys question. how many how many of those games do the rare breed win by a bigger margin if you keep lenny in the entire game you ready or do are you, you ready feel for the question or do you feel but that's just the recency bias that some guys that are close to this league are overreacting to the the kind of explosive plays that Lenny was able to show in the playoffs. Well, I'm going to tell you, Corey, they wouldn't have won any damn games if Lenny Manziel was the starter. <laughs> Lenny okay, Manziel okay. is a great right. closer. <laughs> great Lenny, closer. Lenny Manziel is a great closer, but Lenny Manziel is not that guy. You feel me? He he did great. But you got to – all right. I, and I talked to Matt about it. Me and Matt had a, a little conversation about this not too long ago. Lenny Manziel was coming in third and fourth quarter against guys who were already beat up, getting tossed around, and getting dealt with. OG Buck was doing them dirty. When Lenny Manziel comes in with a fresh pair of legs, decent IQ, great play calling, and that toughness, he's he's coming in at his Gatorade levels at 100 when he comes in. <laughs> in the game. These guys are at 50, 75. So Lenny Manziel... I mean, I, I get it because logically that's really what's going on. It's not that he's not a good player. It's that if Lenny Manziel was playing from the start to the finish, we don't have the same production. We don't have that same those same results. Lenny Manziel came in because OG Buck made that call. This is it's, oh, we, we give Manziel that credit respectfully. I give it to Buck. Buck made those calls to Manziel to come in. The credit I give Manziel is for coming in and actually delivering where his quarterback trusted him to do a job, and he did that. So I, I love I love what Manziel did, but the credit to me still goes to OG Buck because respectfully, I played a game where Lenny Manziel got a lot of snaps. I don't remember him doing that well against you know what I'm saying against us or me. Yeah, I, I remember them having to change the name of that team. I remember <laughs> Neon Dion tracked that one pick down. Remember? Come on now, and Man- Manziel threw that, and it was one of the greatest. Uh, it was actually it was actually Mason that threw that one specifically. It was Mason? But I thought it was yeah, Manziel. yeah. Manziel was already was also splitting time back then. But right, but so, he was splitting. So he was Matt's splitting more point. evenly. And, and I'm glad you said all of those things, Matt, Rob, because no disrespect to Lanny Manziel, because I think he he actually deserves a lot of the flowers that people are giving him because it's it's it is even even with the Gatorade levels that Rob's mentioning, it's still hard to come in at any time in the game against true, the true defense indeed. and do the and, and put up the numbers that he was putting up. But I, I'm glad you said that, Rob, because I think let's let's first get it out of the way. I think that the leader of that team 
and the offensive play caller and the game manager and and the and the true signal caller of that team is young is OG Buck, um, Raheem Chaney, who may be smart enough to know when he doesn't have it to to let another exactly. guy get in there. But at the same time, I think that the rare breed would be horribly mistaken if they don't a lot like maybe we could talk about like the renegades maybe don't fix something that's not broken maybe right. don't so then yeah, let's go we, back to we how many times are rare... yeah exactly and let's no, go back to how many honest times about rare... the like you see you see lenny manzo right his talent level his skill and the fact that the gators didn't have a quarterback this year lenny manzo would have found some success over there but that's because of the team that was that was around him as well. But would he have given as much, you know, as much as Ace could have given them? No. But, you know, he would have gave something versus what they were able to do with really not – there was really no solid quarterback on the Gators, and they made it pretty far without one. Well, here's, here's my take on this, and you can go back into pro football history. You can go back to the Cowboys – where they use the two-quarterback system. Montana and Steve Young, a two-quarterback system. When you're dealing with quarterbacks, and Corey, this is not a slight on you or not a slight on anybody. <laughs> slide them. Slide them. The right quarterback now. is the most ego-driven position in pro football. Because in you're all the, sports. In all, I would say, yeah, uh, that or starting pitcher. Those are, uh, to me, the most important position, like the most ego-driven positions, and it's not a bad thing. To be in that spot, you need to have an ego. You need to have supreme confidence in yourself. I could agree with that. And when you're looking at OG Buck and him being so selfless, is it because he's injured? Is it because of the play calling? Or do you think that Baltimore and the rare breed have the future of how we'll see quarterbacks. Will we see a starting quarterback and a closing quarterback? Because I think when you're That's talking about when you're talking about completion percentage, when you're talking about big plays, you're talking about playing four full quarters. And if you've never watched the A7FL, and this podcast is your first introduction to this beautifully chaotic league with this beautifully chaotic podcast. I say, welcome. What took you so long? But you're playing four 15-minute quarters, and it's straight through. You're, it's the fastest football in America. It's the fastest pro football anywhere. It, you know, with the exception of two minutes at the end of the first and second half, that clock is moving. You are running that entire time for your life. And... When you're putting that much wear and tear on your arms, on your legs, and these guys are working, you know, regular jobs. They have to go to the office or the the shipping yard or wherever they got to go to work on Monday morning. Would a starter and closer idea work in the A7FL? And this is a good test case. Like, this is a case study. I feel feel like I should just not even answer this because I'm obviously going to be extremely biased in this. I'll, so, I'll Rob, a, I'll let you I'll talk, a and I'll honest, just make grunting noises in the background. It's funny. It's like, <laughs> I'll give an honest take on that. It, it, it's not the first time we've seen it. It, it. And I do think, to a degree, it can work well. Most most successful A7FL teams in history always have two quarterbacks. You may not notice it. They may not both play, 
But think about the U. The U had Huff and Moon. Think about BIC. They had Steri, CP3. Um, the Gators, you know, unfortunately they had no one. But then you had Rare Breed with, you know, OG Buck and then Lenny Manziel. It's, it's like that that whole old model of having just one quarterback, it can't oh. work anymore. I mean, I, oh. and I, I know it has. I, I mean, I've won a champ. You know, here's the funny part. 2016 BIC A7 FL Championship, right? You CP3 guys had two quarterbacks start. on that roster, right? Yeah, exactly. We had two quarterbacks on that roster. But how many CP3. how many players how many players mattered when it mattered at the quarterback? Here's the position? thing. This is the thing. Fitz G brought us through the first half of the season. Got injured. CP3 closed it out. So what Matt uh, was he injured, or did you guys lose to the Chiefs? No, he was hurt. He was hurt. And that and that is fair, and I'm not going to take that away. But yeah. I think, I think that what you look at is the successful teams in this league, Matt. They have roles for all of their important players, right? Yeah. And if you look at what Sterry Codrington did in the two years he's been in this league, he started off as the guy that was new in the league, was going to potentially be an option for other positions behind CP3, and when he got his opportunity. He put up 500 total yards and six touchdowns. And then all of a sudden, everybody was like, well, maybe this is our best option. And well, despite well, CP3 despite was CP3, telling them from the get go that he wasn't their best option because CP3 was, was injured. Like, CP3 is not at 100%. Exactly. So, right. He but said, at the same time, once they figured out who their best option was in, in plays that made a difference in the game, downs and distances you know, situations, you know, third quarter at the end of the quarter, fourth quarter when it mattered most. They knew who the guy was that was going to go in at quarterback. It wasn't a question. It wasn't It wasn't a, a coin toss. It wasn't who had the hot hand. Because my feeling, Matt, at the end of the day, and obviously I'm biased, is when you Very have nice. a quarterback that is the best option for you on first down, on the first play of the game, Unless you have packages that that you know, like like the U does with Moon, in which they're going to use his, um, you know, his elite level uh, decision making skills in in you know the the one on one situations where it's you know option and and running plays for the quarterback or you know the the quick throw plays that they they still utilize for him in the two point, or for instance, like what the Snow Tribe did where they had. A running back basically come in at the quarterback. And, no, 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 don't don't do that. They didn't have no, a no, no. But, but when they when they assigned teams. a role for that person that was different than their normal starter, even though Snow Tribe didn't have a normal starter, that's one of those instances in which it can work. But when you got a guy that is your quarterback, for instance, when you have Sterry Codrington, even if you're struggling, when you're in the fourth quarter, you don't decide that you know what we're going to give this guy a run. So for me, my thing with the rare breed is is Buck calling in Lenny Manziel was, in my opinion, something that I would never have done in my entire career. Now, if somebody else called somebody else in, I can understand that. I also have been called out and have acquiesced because I'm not going to sit there and throw a temper tantrum publicly. Um, but, you know, when, when you play that position, you want the right when it comes down to it, if you're within you striking distance 
or not even 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 when I get blown out against the U, I'm still walking out there, you know, whether I'm right, bleeding but, or but not. But Corey, what what he's really asking is if let's say you had a, a second quarterback on your team to help stretch the an actual quarterback, not a running back playing quarterback, a second quarterback or a second athlete that can actually throw the ball. Historically, what you're saying, you really have to really think about it. Historically, none of these teams, maybe two teams won a chip with just one steady QB. And we're talking about, guy, like, the Chiefs, when they won, they didn't have just one QB. Vargas was the starter. ST would come in to relieve yeah, that's them. The one exa- and that's think- the one example that really beats my – because they had, they had a guy who – was capable, who was clutch, and would, would right. be and that's And I think that's what Matt's really asking, because if you think about it, there's no team that actually runs the table with just one quarterback. Yeah, but how many to... teams are going to have, like, a moose spit for SWG? But, 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 and, and we're saying skills? that. We're asking that. You know what I'm that. saying? Like, we're asking that, but it's been done. It's been done several times over. Like, I, I, it's rare that we've seen it. Again, when CJ took the helm for the Bombers, it was CJ, and it was ST. When CJ took the help for BIC, it was CJ, Fitz G. Chiefs, ST, and Vargas. Um, I think, I, I want to say with the Immortals, you had people that can play the position of quarterback, but it was Woog almost solo. Woog was that guy. And I think you can also say the same thing. Which, um, was it the Gators, or was it the Vikings? The, ki- the Vikings Gators that won was Gators was Ace Boogie's year. Okay, Ace Boogie, and that's the year Ace was playing phenomenal. Like we didn't have an answer for Ace. Twenty eighteen was an embarrassing year for New Jersey, but I'm I'm saying what what Bagway Mark is doing as that solo quarterback threat is because he's a legitimate solo yeah, quarterback threat. What we, he can what beat a miss, team by himself. We're not running we into miss, quarterbacks Rob, like that all the is time. That Mark Bagway actually for for a couple of the. Nightcrawler's games was lining up at wide receiver and mossing people too. So he's just that different type of match. So, but they so also- that actually means there's another quarterback there that can throw him the ball. I so, think and that that's, that's, and that's what I mean. Like it's going to be very tough to find a team with just one quarterback, uh, one actual quarterback that's successful. Even if CP3 is not taking the, the down and distance hard snaps. And even then, that's kind of wrong because in the championship, CP3 walked in a two-point conversion that helped them win. Uh, one of those, one of those very crucial, important conversions that most of these elite teams can't seem to get on each other. CP3 walks one in. Same thing with Mansell; he walks one in. So I'm, I'm thinking that second quarterback is a lot more crucial than I think we've ever even had an opportunity to talk about. That one quarterback system hasn't really worked in a long time. I feel like the only way it works consistently is what we've seen from... And I I think a utility quarterback is what you're talking about, Rob. And, Corey, you're talking about, like, a pure two-quarterback rotation system. I I see it like this. You have... It's not alternating quarters, but it's alternating moments. Because... Also, let's remember, a lot of the players in this league play both sides of the ball. We've seen uh, OG Buck play quarterback on both sides of the ball, uh, quarterback and also in the secondary. We saw that in the playoffs. We saw that with Mark right. Bagway. We've seen it with Sterry Codrington. 
as the because we need to talk about the evolution of the league too. Because if you watch the A7FL in its protozoic days, when you got when Corey had dark hair and Rob was just a baby, he didn't grow the beard yet. Um, or he was more beard than man, on, which, you know, could be now. <laughs> it's, it was predicated on a lot of running. It, was, it, it followed the track of modern football, but the evolution just sped up so quick. Because I, mean, I think certain players made the evolution, changed the game. I can say that. But we, we threw the ball a lot back then. It's just, you know... Those weren't where the highlights were being made. Somebody was getting beat for a 60-yard bomb. You know, nobody's, you know, nobody was clapping for that. They were looking for people to get juked out their shoes and socks and ran over. Huss, huss. Huss, huss. <laughs> well, now that, now that I have something to cry myself to sleep to, other than the fact that you, you intro Rob as two-time A7FL champ, you I'm not know even the vibe. I'm not even a two-time postseason game winner in this league. You you are the winner of the internal award best broadcaster of the year for 2019 and Listen, 2021. Come on, now. Uh, I, like I would like to thank Corey, everybody that you that didn't win a shit, but you made it to Sports Center. Come on now. Yeah, Let, on can now. we talk I, about that real quick and we'll get we? back to the discussion? Can we, can we give ourselves a pat on the back? That Sports was, guys? and this podcast is listed as explicit, so we can swear on this show, even Are though we don't. Are you fucking serious? I thought oh, we were in the whole time. The F1. <laughs> Rob is here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You might have to no, you're not around. wrong. Like, okay, it was right, cool, fucking cool. insanity. Yeah, let's go, Matt. Let's go. It was the weirdest moment of my life. Like, I saw it. And it took me a minute. I, I, I couldn't reconcile the fact that I was on the same page. Like, when you talk about Sports Center for our generation, because we're all around the same age, I might be the youngest. Um, I have the least children of the room. I have negative I seven children. I look the oldest. <laughs> yes, yeah, you ask my kids how old I am, they think I'm 50. Jesus. It's the, it's the salt and pepper, man. You don't look a day over 65. <laughs> but when you, we saw that and I, like I sent it to you guys and we were talking about it when even though it's like the the Instagram for Sports Center right. that show that branding mm -hmm. was the ultimate cosign for right. athletes for sports like that is where you saw and first kind of identified with your sports heroes and yeah, that that is the mod modern day reference for us that our our parents would talk about, like the Johnny Carson show. Like, like you've made it if you made it if you're somehow involved with Sports Center. Like Sports Center right. has always been and always was for me. Now it's one of the it, it's one of the other depressing things about my life that my children, you know, instead of watching sports all the time, they're watching YouTube. And I have to explain to him, like, yeah, we used to watch highlights. And I, I know I used to know every person's stat in Major League Baseball. And I haven't right. watched a baseball since COVID. But like the sports center, the sports center bar was always the bar that especially leagues like the A7FL was looking to reach. And the fact that they gave us a shout out was almost as cool as Snoop Dogg. Respectfully, I, I found it a lot. I love Snoop. 
I found it a little. Just, that was just. A, that I, was, I wasn't here I for love, Snoop. I, I wasn't a part of the league for yeah. Snoop. So this. Yeah, is... I love Snoop, but yeah, this one hit different because, like you said, this is Sports Center is our generation. Sports Center is this is ESPN Sports Center. This is not. This is. This is not a backwater page. It's not a a YouTube highlight page because we've been doing that for years. That's not. It's not. And it's not Forbes that like. Looked right. at something and it was like we're, oh, was we're talking ESPN Sports Center, where a lot of guys who are high level athletes with blue checks are following this, and not only are they following this, they're watching these videos. And when you look through the comments, you saw a few of those likes with some blue check guys who were very interested in what they saw, what they heard. And I I remember messaging um KC Fantasy of VIC. When those guys made that celebration, I remember specifically telling him, bro, that was a moment. And I, I guess I didn't know how right I was about that because that wasn't just a moment for BIC. That wasn't just a moment for us as the announcing team. That was a moment for A7FL, period. Like, no matter what you do, no one can ever take away the fact that we, as a sports cast, as a league, BIC as a team, Ashanti Worthy as a player made it to ESPN Sports Center Instagram page. That's and, and amazing. What a, and what a perfect, and what a perfect, just you know, forty second frame of come on, perfect. It's it's the jukes. It's the three on one, which probably is the pinnacle of the special teams. You know, change right. of possession in the in that football could ever have in my opinion like yeah even if even if the even if the nfl adopted it i think there would be something to it um kickers would have to you know maybe run a couple of laps during practice but you know whatever we can get to that at, at, you know in another time in 10 15 years when the nfl has to retract what they're doing to catch up to us but not only not only do you have the jukes you, you have a tr- truck but you also have the pettiness and and, and the the inside so inside so oh it was such it, it was such a, a a controlled vitriol that bic came out there with the with Perfect. the with juxtaposition which is a great word people should look up there's uh, a of, there's a phrase in a certain world that rhymes with rucking that that was <laughs> and for that to be and you guys are right like that is the ultimate example of our league and to right. cap and to cap off the highlight, which was great football, it was great athleticism, it was great effort from, you know, the the force, even though that they, they were getting sunned on that play, I but mean, it was also it respect. was also capped perfectly by an entire team answering the the, the right. shit talk because this is ex- we can we can use a couple expletives the shit talk from the team that was calling out the number one team in the league and their right. way of answering it was not only that we're going to dominate you in between the lines but guys this is entertainment let's completely right. annihilate them and post and when once it gets posted to sports center the force will be, be forever known as the team that tried to do the dance for bic and then as soon as it was available to them got absolutely demolished like it in, and the souls ripped out of their bodies because the the dance that they tried to do with one guy 37. I think we're going right. to have to dedicate an episode of this podcast to the oral to history rivalry? of that touchdown. Right. <laughs> and of that no, because, because honestly, I, I found myself. 
He found himself speechless. I found myself speechless a little bit. I found myself like having to stop myself from explaining to people what was going on because you get the comments, oh, tasteless, oh, they're doing too much. Listen, this is not the NFL. And I, I've heard people call the NFL the no fun league. Yeah. I think celebrations, I, I don't know, maybe we could throw that up to the to the guys. I think celebrations should be embraced. Let's just be honest. We They got penalized for that. But really, was the penalty worth it? Like, really? Absolutely. Like, did they, did they really have it. to penalize those guys? Because let's think about the Miami U back in the 80s, early 90s. What did they do? They were dancing. They were partying. Let's bring the – got to bring the fun back in football. I think that's our job. Like, I think that, right. that for all three of us, our job every time we put the headsets on or every time we sit down to do this podcast – is to be ambassadors of this league. And the way we do that is just by being ourselves. The great thing about the A7FL is the ability for individual expression. And while that would be a 15-yard penalty uh, for the Shield or for any other football league, that for us is a defining moment because we are a league... Of rebels. Like, we are the rebel league of pro football. When you take a look at the players on all the teams, how this league came to be. Like, just the the DNA of this league is we're one step ahead in evolution and one step ahead of the law sometimes in the early days of this game. Remember I told you earlier, like, bro, this league went from glass and grass to where it's at right now. And it, I think it should be celebrated. Let's 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 celebrate. Sports Last Center, guys. To Sports Center. Let's go. <laughs> and when we talk about the evolution of the league, there is something I've been working on in the background, in in the shadows Uh-oh. since the Uh-oh. end of the season. Can we press the controversy button? Oh, right we're gonna press the controversy button. We're also okay. gonna be pressing the reboot button because we're gonna be working on a project. That will we will announce in full soon, but it's called the A7FL reboot, and we'll we'll start talking about what it is. But in the same way that Pat Go- Coburn threw a kid into a blender earlier this season in a call expertly done by Senator Big Rob Fabian, we are going to throw the A7FL into a bit of a blender, and we're going to have a bunch of people helping us, and we're going to want you to help us, and also. Next week on the show, we will have more information about this reboot, but we'll have a guest as well. He is one of the co-MVPs of the A7FL Championship. He is Sterry Codrington. He'll be joining us on -on 3-on-1 next week. He'll be the one in 3-on-1 next week. And also, we will announce the nominees for the A7FL A7FL Awards for 2022. Obviously, Sterry's going to be in the conversation for Offensive Player of the Year and obviously MVP for his second season. Guys, this has been a fun first episode. Before we wrap things up, we we talked about, Rob, you talked about the get grass and gravel, the, the glass, grass, and gravel of the early days of the A7FL. We what? talk about where it is now. When we look at next season and we see Boston on the horizon, we see potential expansion on the horizon where do you see the next evolution of this game being? Because we talked about the two quarterback system, the closer, the, you know, these are going to be clips that we put up on social media. 
where do you think, and the same question for you, Corey, where do you see this game evolving to between right now, when we drop this podcast on July 27th, and opening day 2023? I think the next evolution of this game will be at the defensive end position. More Varardis, more guys, more small, strong, vicious guys coming off of the edge. Because if anybody paid attention and seen what that was able to do to a top-tier quarterback and pretty much everybody in the league, like this league, this league grows in stages. Back, back when it was glass and grass and Virgis was taking you to the outside and you couldn't stop him because your defensive end couldn't contain, that changed the game. But then that made the defensive linemen and all these guys keep contained. But then that opened the game up for a guy like Courage to bounce in and out these contains because you guys are so worried about the outside. Then it created a space for a guy like Huff to sidearm throw you to death. Variety seems like the answer to that. And if we remember, if we remember A7 NFL history, there's always it's always a defensive lineman, an unknown de- defensive lineman that kind of changes what you think is supposed to happen in a game, i.e. Um, Immortals versus BIC 2017, if I'm not mistaken. Tyler Affa. <laughs> Tyler, Tyler Affa and um, – Gerald Bell. Gerald oh, yeah. Bell. I have a score on my neck, Gerald. Guys, let's just be honest here. 2019, the U lost the championship to those two guys. They didn't lose the championship to Wug and King and all these big names. They lost the championship at that level of D linemen. And I think that was just a spark. What Verardi was able to do, in my opinion, and I can't wait to argue this, by himself, what Verardi was able to do by himself is going to be a blueprint for other guys who feel like they have that athleticism, that explosiveness, that speed, that wear and thaw, and that attention to the ball to then come into this league and do some major damage to quarterbacks we think slash thought we're great. So that's where I personally think the next evolution of the game is coming from. What about you, Corey? Well, to Rob's point, I think teams on the lower tier looking for guys that are going to be in the same mold as Berardi, just like they always been looking for guys that are same mold as Huff and guys are looking for guys in the same mold as Ashanti Worthy and Sterry Codrington. You just keep looking because those guys aren't, regular human beings that you can find on your average football field playing pickup on Thanksgiving. So as much as I agree with Rob, because I do feel, um, you know, the Ole Bell was probably the first prototype. And yeah, that hybrid. Ole Bell, a longtime savage, uh, you know, outside linebacker, defensive end, probably one of the all-time, if not the all-time sack leader in A7FL history. Um, he was that one guy at 5'9", 5'10", 205, coming around the corner with, like, a wrestler's, like, low center of gravity. That has always been something that's really been impossible to stop. And you saw guys like the the Predator, Malik, for um, the, the Renegades this year. You saw the two guys with dreads coming off screaming for the Gators and was probably the best aspect of their final four run. Um but I will say this, and, and Rob and I argued about this a little bit on air when we were talking about the force. What I think is, is as this league becomes a little bit more structured and you get guys that have 
you know, like Rob and myself that have been able to go through a full career learning the ins and outs of the game and the differences that seven on seven and, and the, the, the three man line, the four man line, the, the way that defenses will play zero, zero coverage with no safety. What I think the next evolution of this league guys is more guys like Ryan Shamar, who is basically just a mind out there helping, you know, organize the great athletes and, and guys like, uh, Mac uh, Smith out there for the Vegas force, which was their head coach, uh, you know, that, that brought them to a, a, a Western division championship and their elite eight appearance in the playoffs. I think guys that coaching eventually will structure this league and bring out the best, you know, high, like the, the ceiling for some of these players because when you are a player in a huddle, for instance, and, and I'm just going to bring up guys that I know in the Renegades, and you have, a, you have a guy like Kenneth Stewart who does have talent, who is capable of running, who has an arm that's strong and can at times be accurate, and you give him a design that's going to amplify his abilities and not ask him to draw something up himself and come up with it himself when maybe he doesn't have the the – mental ability to formulate something in the 15 seconds that you have in between plays to think of the next play, having guys like that take that burden of play calling and, and scheme and offensive and defensive design away from the players and allowing them to just, you know, make plays and, and, and go out there and execute uh, schemes and, and formations and, 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 and plays. I think that that would elevate the level of play in this league and it would also curtail some of the the poor personnel decisions that we as announcers sometimes look at teams, you know, taking this guy out, putting this guy in and saying, hold on, who's doing that? Because a lot of times, guys, let's be honest, some guys get into games because the wrong person is making the decision. And you talked about Kenny Stansbury to start this. Let's let's bookend it. Kenny Stansbury on the defensive side of the ball was making a lot of right decisions for BIC for them to beat uh, the U in the championship and the other two games that they played. And if you have more guys like that with, with the knowledge of the A7 game, imparting it to some of these young guys like Berardi that Rob was mentioning, or for instance, giving a guy like Kenneth Stewart a play that he can use his talents and, and amplify his ability and execute something that he's practiced over and over again, as opposed to third and eight. It's like, Hey, figure it out, bro. I think that is the next evolution to this game. And then you might start, start to see some completion percentages for some of these quarterbacks that are struggling get above that 40% mark, which makes me a little bit offended. You're funny. I think the next evolution is going to come when an active, and I think this is going to happen. A retired NFL starter is going to join the A7FL within the next five years. As a player or as, as a, a, a... I think as a player owner. Player, owner, or coach? I'll com- I think I think one combination of the three. Like a combination because of uh, two. One of those in a combination. I think it'll be a player, coach, coach, owner, something along those lines. Rob's okay. favorite team has oh, always God. owned... Dawkins, I think his name is, um, is the offensive lineman for the Bills. Is actually the 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 the, the uh, you already snow guy that yeah. made the snow ch- try, right? And I know that's Rob's favorite team, and he loves them. I thought <laughs> I, I I thought his favorite but team Matt, ended I up becoming. I don't think you're wrong. 
I don't. I just. I don't know if an NFL player really wants to, after going through the gauntlet of the NFL, strap it up against us because we're just I'm, a different kind of crazy man. I mean, we've we've seen it. We let Matt. I, I I really don't think you're wrong. I honestly think you're closer to being right than maybe me and even Corey are, because year before last, when the U won the championship, BIC had a former NFL player on that team. Claim this year. The Snow Tribe is owned by an NFL, a current NFL player. And maybe next year, the year after that, or maybe that following year, we're going to get that hybrid coach, owner, player guy that'll really bust this league wide. Just think, just let me kick this scenario really quick, right? Terrell Owens just so happens to fall on the league, and he's like, I want a team. I want a quarterback. And he comes out there. As a wide receiver, bringing his own quarterback, his own players, is gonna, it's going to test the metal of this league. It's gonna test a lot of guys who thought, hey, this is the pinnacle of it. When you get a guy, I know he's older, but he's still a former NFL player. Take it from me, a guy who literally had to play against one. It doesn't matter if he was a former NFL player. You can legitimately feel the difference between the regular top-tier A7 guy and a guy that played in the NFL. There's a difference. So I, I do agree with you, Matt. Within the next five years, I can confidently say we'll get one of those. And, and, and that would be a great thing, Rob, because of all of those memes of people saying that's my quarterback with Terrell Owens, for somebody to be able to do that with the Terrell Owens meme, that's my quarterback, and it literally be Terrell Owens himself doing the meme, Imagine, Rob. That would be hilarious. That would be hilarious. That would be awesome. And I will just, I will just say right out to Terrell Owens. I have been working out. I'm doing the one punch I'm man, hundred push ups. I'm done. I'm so done. <laughs> you with you know who I want, you guys. You know who I want. You know who I want to see. Great cash, homie. I want yes. Oh, oh my. Oh. <laughs> listen, listen. Any any quarterback in our league could throw a pop fly to Randy Moss and. I, I love the corners in our league. We have some of the, the best some of the best personalities in our league play the cornerback position. But Randy Moss smoking all you guys like it's a barbecue. Let's go. Brisket all day. And I'm gonna leave this I'm gonna leave this final question. If you wanna let us know what you think the next evolution is, let us know in the on social media. The A7FL on Twitter, A7FL on Instagram. We'll be posting clips of the show, and we'll post this question to you. Who do you think should be the cover athlete of an A7FL video game? Let us know in the comments in across social media. Please let us know what you think. And also, if you liked the podcast, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the A7FL 3-on-1 podcast, as I said a few minutes ago, Sterry Codrington will be our guest next week. We will also reunite and we'll break down a little bit more of this A7FL reboot concept I'll be working on. And if you want to follow us across social media, our information will be in the show notes below. So please follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, follow us wherever Corey actually has social media because the man is a ghost. But I'm a bot, Twitter bot. <laughs> but I got I think, nine followers. <laughs> but I think we if this was a pretty good pilot. I, I'd pick it up. I don't know about you guys, but I'd pick it up. Of course, I'd pick it up. I'm on it. Come on now. <laughs>
I, I talk too much. I would fire myself. But all of Baltimore is already trying to angle for that. So Corey, Corey, you know, they hate to we love gotta you. Keep, we got to keep love you, and they love to hate you, Corey. You, you got a spot in their hearts. Just know that. I, I live there rent free, Rob. Rent free. <laughs> but, rent free. But until next time, that's the name of this episode, by the way. Uh, until next time, for Big Rob Fabian, for Corey Hammond, I'm Matt Ryan saying so long. And we'll see you next time right here on 3 on 1.